Well, I hate to mess that up, but I will. <laughs> the only reason I will is because I just always do. It's not intentionally, I just happen to be that way. Really has been something. I'd like to thank Lou and Rita especially. She ran things very beautifully and we went along and it worked out just fine. It was hard on us, but we did it just like she said and it worked out just fine. It's been great to be with and the committee for inviting me. And maybe it doesn't mean that much to you, but to be in Lois's presence is really something for me. Didn't even dream of it. And for, I cannot understand, Dr. Bob's house is for sale. I cannot understand why an alcoholic hadn't bought it and then finally got his Alanons over there to get it all fixed up so he could have Dr. Bob's group. I said, I'll bet you they haven't been over here. They don't know that. You need to take that tour. But it was great to be where it started. It was great to be in a place where God put it together. And it's just something to have been here. But before we cry... I'd like to tell you that my name is Jim Williams, and I am an alcoholic. And I started out in a little old town not like yours. They didn't sell booze where I was. You had to get it from bootleggers, and we only had one bad one. And he drank wine and bay rum and slept downtown. I never did drink bay rum. And they programmed me not to be an alcoholic. They didn't do it. They programmed me to be a Southern Baptist. Now, y'all probably don't have Southern Baptists here, but I bet you got a Baptist or two. And we had four commandments. Don't drink whiskey, commit adultery, play cards or dance. And nobody does the rest of them. But they raised me in that little place. They had a guy standing up here just like me. And he said, if you think it, you might as well have done it. Well, I knew I was thinking it, and I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> but I just had a feeling I wasn't one of them, and I was one of those, and I knew whatever it was I was doing wasn't what I was supposed to be doing, and I hadn't even done anything. <laughs> Got to be about 12 or 14, which will do that if you just keep messing around and getting up every day, you know. And then I got around these girls and got that funny feeling. And I told them about it. They said, oh, we've been meaning to talk to you. You know we've been praying for you. And I said, oh, I knew I was one of those. I knew whatever it was you had that you're not supposed to have, I knew I had it. And they said, we want you to meet us at the church before the uh, service. So I met them. And they put the thing on, you know, they get in there and they, you know if you do what they do, you're going to be great. And you know I need to be great when I'm not anything already. <laughs> so when they made that last call, the way they do it, we're going to sing one more stanza for that one right back there. <laughs> God, you know they're looking at you. They point, you know. <clears throat> then you walk down the aisle, it's kind of like AA, except don't give out any chips. <laughs> They hug you and kiss you and tell you how great you are. You know you're not, but hell, I like it. <laughs> then they put you in the tank, the hands are leaks, you choke a little, but you come out okay. <laughs> Went to school the next day and saw that girl, <laughs> came right back. <laughs> I said, well, we're going to have to do it again. It didn't take. 
They said, no, you just don't do it. Well, they didn't know. I didn't know how to don't do anything. I didn't even know I didn't know how to don't do anything. And then when I knew I couldn't do it and couldn't keep them thinking about it, I said, you know, I've been thinking about it all afternoon. I'll just go ahead and think about it the rest of the day, and in the morning I won't think about it anymore. So the next morning I got up, as soon as I waked up, I started thinking about it. Then the more I tried not to think about it, the more I thought about it. It was always my life that the more I tried not to think about something, the more I did it. And the more I said I wasn't going to do it, the more I did it. Now, I didn't know I was that way. I don't know where I learned that. Hell, I ain't been anywhere but school or church. <laughs> you know, we didn't even go to the bathroom unless we just really had to. I really enjoy going now. You just free now. You can go in town. <laughs> Don't have to be guilty. I went three times after breakfast. <laughs> Finally got to be 17. Quit playing basketball so I could smoke. <clears throat> 30 miles away was a little town that was wild and wicked. That's before you could do anything during the week. You always did it on Saturday. So I took a bath, and I guess you wiped it on this before they had to spray. And went over there and opened the door of one of these little old honky-tonks, beer joints, and there was that deacon with a warm girl in one hand and a cold beer in the other. I thought, my God, he's going to tell Jesus on us, and we didn't even get to do it. You know, it looks like you'd know if you get caught before you do it, you ought to give it up right there. <laughs> this guy said, well, he can't tell anybody, but I thought he had a better inside shot with Jesus than I did. However, he is happy and I'd ever seen him. And with a different girl. We drank two beers, didn't do one thing for me. Not a thing in the world. And I was glad to get out of there. Then the next morning, I wanted to go to the church for the first time in 17 years. I said, maybe you get old enough, you don't have to go. There he was, sad, like he always was, with that other girl. <laughs> then I had my first spiritual awakening. Maybe you can do it a little bit and just don't tell anybody. <laughs> so I told this guy, I said, we're going back the next Saturday and don't tell a living soul. We'll go to the other joint. His big town had two joints. <laughs> so we went to that other joint and I learned how to do everything but commit adultery. Just, and I didn't even know how to do any of it. I didn't know I knew. And I'd have done that except you know how we are. We just get too tied up. I just learned how to drink. You just go in and dress one after the other and you get the feeling so good you can't feel it all. I learned how to dance and Southern Baptists cannot dance. And if they do, they can't admit it. And I fell down the dance floor and broke my nose just like you're supposed to. <laughs> Blacked out. Waked up the next morning. Felt horrible. This guy called said, how you feel? I said, God, I feel terrible. He said, oh, but you had a great time last night. <laughs> I said, oh, well. <laughs> then I knew how to have a good time. Go out and get drunk. Black out. Wake up the next morning. Throw up. Know you had a good time. <laughs> Didn't even know you did it any other way. 
Never knew you did it any other way. I thought those people that just didn't want to run with me when I was drinking just didn't know how to turn it loose and let it go. And God, listen, I had brain damage not doing it. I got relief from drinking. And I really love to get to the place where you could just turn her loose and let it go. Doesn't sound too bad right now. <laughs> well, I knew you couldn't do it a lot because you get caught. So I just always did a lot when I did it. Didn't know I couldn't do it any other way either. Wasn't too long after that that I had to go to war and they had, just because I had it. And they went to China and they stayed too long and... People said you didn't want to go, and that's right. I didn't, but I didn't know I was, didn't want to go. I was already over there. <laughs> and I didn't want to go at the service, and I knew I did. But I got to get up too early and go to bed early, and they give you shots, and you pass out, and they do all that crap I don't like to do. Then when I got out, everybody always knew what I wanted to do. Everything I wanted to do wasn't what they thought I wanted to do. They said, you don't want to do that. I said, yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> no, you don't want to do that. And I say, I don't want to do that. Yeah, you want to do that. <laughs> he said, you want to go to college? I said, no, I don't want to go to college. I had to go to summer school to get out of high school. <laughs> I went to college because I didn't want to go. <laughs> but I showed him I only got a degree. I didn't get an education. <laughs> Helped me after I got here, too. <laughs> then I got out of school and you had to go to work. I was having some minor... I know you don't guess this. I was having some minor difficulty with women. Now, I don't know where I learned it. I've only been in church and school. <laughs> if you put ten pretty girls up there, I'll get the sick one every time. <laughs> One girl that I think might have been healthy. She only went with me two times, and the third time she said, no more. I knew that you had to be in love to go with women. They taught me that. Don't ever go with anybody if you're not going to be in love with them. The only thing I found to be awkward was when you were in love with a woman and you didn't have one. <laughs> So I always tried to keep looking for a new one if my one deal was going bad. And the first two months of my romance was fantastic. God, it was total, and we'd never be able to live without each other as long as we lived. My God, we weren't going to be able to breathe without one another. Then it just deteriorates from there on out. And I did that one year at a time. The greatest part of my drinking, and, the greatest, and I see you have to drink to do this. You just, I know you're telling you this because you can't do it unless you're drinking. When you taper out of the bad one into the new one, and you have to keep going back just a little. <clears throat> I find, well, there's a few that's done that. Or I knew somebody that did that. Well, I finally had to go to work, of course. Did not know it until I got to A. I didn't like work. That was one of my biggest problems. Having trouble with women, didn't like work. It's hard to get along here, you know. 
And I went to work, and of course, it didn't do right. They didn't pay me properly. And they always wanted me to come to work on Mondays. <laughs> you could have the flu on Thursday, didn't think a lot about it, but you never could have it on Monday. And I, they never did run it right. And I'd explain to them what they were doing it wrong. It's amazing how some of them are still operating doing it wrong. I can see why most of us are not in business. We're too smart. I did finally dawn on me that it was always me that was leaving. Finally got out of a job, couldn't get one, and the way I apply for jobs, I get up every morning and throw up, and then I spray and go apply for one job. By the time you fill out the forms, that's a good day's work anyway. And I never like to drink before 10.30 unless I just had to, which is noon for Baptist. So I tried to get through by 11 o'clock, and then I got drunk, and I do that one day at a time. And I did that for about 10 days, and nobody was hiring me, and I would go see these people I knew. And they didn't hate me. They didn't treat me badly openly. But you could just feel it. They were going to feel better when little Jimmy was gone. There was just something about me they didn't tell me, but there was something about me I knew they were going to like it better once I'm out that door. So the next morning I got up and threw up, and I just thought, well, I'll just take the day off. <laughs> so I went out to the golf course and ate an old egg and an old piece of toast. Then I went around to where the beer joint, where my spiritual advisor lived, <laughs> the only man who understood me. And he said, God, you look terrible this morning. I said, yeah, I bet you I'm coming down with something. He said, the way you look, I don't think anything's going to help you but a beer. I said, God, it's only 9.15. He said, the way you look, I don't think it makes any difference. And I drank half of it and sprayed the golf course with it. I don't mind spraying if I don't lose my concentration. You know, it irritates me when I lose my concentration start thinking about women or something. And it gets in my nose. starts burning, you know. It upsets you and you drink the rest of the day. And I knew about meditation before I ever got here when it's just me, God, and a commode. <laughs> And it's stringy, and you don't know where the end is. I don't meditate that deeply anymore. But used to, I'd play it right to the wire. I'm either staying or going. I told this guy, I said, I believe I'm really sick. So I'm going to go home and lie down. It's easy to lie down when you're vibrating, you know. So I went home and got in the living room and had a high-level meeting. I love to have a meeting with me. We can decide any living things necessary. And no, we know. And I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to commit suicide. And those folks are going to regret it. They didn't hire me for the rest of their days. They'll never be able to get over when they read the headlines. But I didn't know how to do it. You know, they don't teach it in church or school either one. I don't know why they don't. Half of us are going to need it, you know. And I don't like noise of a morning, so guns are loud, and besides, they're messy. But I heard this was poor overdoses popular. God, I'm in the old sober-up cold turkey business, you know. Suicide the cold turkey banner. 
Because if you go that overdose deal, you won't remember anything but the pump. And I remember all of my three suicides. <laughs> well, razor blades were popular then. But I didn't know how you do that. So he said he cut his wrist, found him the next morning. So I said, well, I know you can't do it in the living room. You get blood all over the carpet. And I'm always thinking of others. So I went to the bathroom, got my razor blade, and cut both wrists just a little bit. I thought, since these other guys just cut one, I'll cut two. And I'm sitting there just listening to the drip and thinking about where I'm going. About that time, the phone rang. God, I had to have another meeting. What if where I'm going, I'll always wonder who that was called. That'd be enough to run you crazy. So I put a Band-Aid on my wrist right quick. Well, I never had done it before, you know. And I answered the phone, it was the police. You know how they are, they're kind of like ministers, come, come go along with me. Except, you know, they all have a personality change. They need this program badly, but they'll never come in. Every time you start to explain to them you're not going, why, they just go crazy. Then when you tell them, hell, I'm not going, they just go nuts. Then you have to go with them to pacify them, you know. This guy said, where were you last night? I said, I was right here. And he said, oh, no, you wasn't. I said, how'd you know? And he said, we is there. <laughs> then I didn't want to talk to him anymore. I'd already learned don't talk to anybody anymore that knows more about where you've been than you do. I said, what do you want me to do? I knew they want you to do something. They never ask you what you want them to do for them. It's what they, what they want you to do. They've got the program all wrong. They're supposed to say, what are we supposed to do for you? He said, well, either come down here or we'll come out there. And I said, I'll come down there. Total fright sets in, you know, and I talk a little quick. And then I hung up and I... Way had another meeting. It's only 11 o'clock. I had a hell of a day, you know. <laughs> no wonder we had a hard time living one day at a time. We had several days one day. <clears throat> Not noon yet, and I've had three days already. <laughs> Died twice. <clears throat> so then I just... Had another meeting, and I said, you know, I've got $36. Nobody likes you here. Why don't you just leave town? Besides, you got plenty of money to start a new career. <laughs> so I just mailed the key to the folks and got in the car and left town. And the next morning, I waked up about 200 miles away, and I just had $7. And then things have changed. So I called my folks. Now, I'm, all, I'm just 33. I'm really thinking about getting weaned, weaned away now, but I'm going easy on it. So I called them and told them I was out riding around. It surprised them again, even though they knew something was happening. They said, why don't you come by here? And I drove another 100 miles and did. And, and I never shortchanged my folks. I always gave them their money's worth. 
They never will get their money back, so I always gave them a good show. And I love to tell the truth about me, even though it was only the way I saw it. And the way I see it's horrible. And you get to listen to it, and you know it's true. Then you cry at the end, which gets you $100 every time. <laughs> Say, well, old Jim's honest. Let him have 100 It's work. Next morning I got up and I said, well, there's one little thing I didn't tell y'all. Going through all that trouble I went through in Houston, I just wanted you to know that I've been drinking some to kind of get through it. And I've decided I'll never drink again. And I got right in that car and drove right around Fort Worth, got right in there, and I said, I think I'll go to Rio Grande Valley. I've never been there. There's a guy I knew went down there five years ago. I like us. We never call to see if they're still there. And it's only a ten and a half hour drive anyway. And I stopped at the filling station. I said, how far is it to Waco? And he said, 79 miles. And I said, let me have three beers. It's amazing. We know right off what time of day it takes three beers to go 79 miles. I ended up in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas. And believe me, that's the end. They changed country. They have a little creek there, and right on the other side of that creek, while well, they change languages and everything. And you can die drunk there easy. They might even let you lie there for a day or two. But my, I finally got a job down there. Three weeks, that guy's gone. He'd finally got his credit to where he could get out. And I still wasn't married, but I was still trying. It's hard to court when you're tied up a lot. You call them about four and said, I'll see you about 7.30. It might be two or three days before you can get by there. And then, of course, you've forgotten why you call. And I don't know about living a life of I don't know. You never could call back and say, do we do anything last night? So I just had to kind of live a life of I don't know. Finally, I was trying to go with these two girls in case one of them was going to get well. <laughs> but one of them was a little different than the other one. Sick, different, sick. I only attracted sick girls because that's... It always gets me in AA when I see this guy. I said, why didn't you go with her? Oh, the chemistry didn't mix. I said, no, you got to have that sickness or the game doesn't work. But anyway... Fine, this girl and I fought a little. She would take advantage of me when my equilibrium wasn't good. <laughs> the last fight we had was must have been terrible. I wish I could have been there. Because <laughs> we had it in her bathroom. <laughs> Seems as I was leaving and she followed me to the bathroom as I was getting ready to leave. And I must not have should have left. And sure enough, I really wish I had not have tried to leave. <laughs> Because that's a bad place to have a discussion. There's nothing in there but hard surfaces. <laughs> and I think we kind of fell over in the bathtub and things like that. Just what little love spats do. The next morning, I heard a knock on the door and I waked up. And it must have been one of those days I was going to leave in a hurry because I still had my clothes on. <laughs> I was living in a nice place. It was an old green trailer in an alley behind a motel. But you didn't have to keep up the yard or anything because the alley was rocks. 
<laughs> and this preacher, good friend of mine, and you know I'd already learned how to wake up in total fright without even praying for it. And when somebody bangs on your door, well, here you come, you know. But I'm dressed for whatever it is. I don't know what's going. And then he opens that door, and I, I really go into total fright because ministers don't usually come to see me. And I looked down, I had blood all over my shirt, and I didn't know who that was. And it seemed like my head did feel a little different, but I didn't want to feel of it because it might think I thought something was different. And he said, come go along with me. I told him I thought I ought to do something first, and he thought I shouldn't, so I didn't. <laughs> they knew I didn't want to, and I wanted to. They didn't. We went over there and had a meeting with her, and when I saw her, I said, God, she looks like she's been in something. And then I thought, I wonder why if I was there. So I went in and looked in the mirror, and I was there. <laughs> she looked fantastic. I lost again. <laughs> Well, we had a meeting, and we decided it's time for me to get married, and I agreed. We got married, so I could, well, we canceled the meeting so I could get drunk and discuss it. And then we got married in the First Baptist Church, so it worked at 10 o'clock in the morning with nobody drinking, and I hadn't had a drink since 3 a.m., and it was a nervous condition that set in, and we got through the funeral, uh, wedding okay. And we, but my life changed. I did not know what it was like to get up in the morning, get your coffee, and cigarettes always made me gag, so I'd smoke a cigarette and go to the bathroom and gag in the morning, and then go to work like normal things. I didn't know what it was to throw up in peace. I'd grab that coffee and cigarettes and hit that bathroom, and she's telling me what I am through that door. And I've got to get upset, go to work, be mad all day, run home, tell her, get drunk, run home and tell her what she was, and we did that one day at a time. <laughs> My life didn't change a bit, except I just had somebody who's added some things. <laughs> our longest bet for our marriage, our friends didn't get along too well, and our longest bet on our marriage was three weeks. But we showed them. We hung in there for eight years. But I want to tell you something. If you don't give up, you can develop a deep hate for one another. <laughs> now, I didn't know that. We finally developed such a hate for one another, we were safe because the one that died first won. <laughs> Lost that job. Took me two months to find one. A guy that was a drunk like me managed a drug company. And he says, I hear you're looking for a job. Would it insult you if I asked you, would you be interested in going to work for me? And I said, not at all. Nobody had asked me that yet. <laughs> and he said, you don't need to come to the office. Just meet me at the cafe. About 1030, we'll have breakfast. I said, fine. It's the right time, you know. I met him there. He says, you want a beer for, before breakfast? I said, one. We drank till 2.30, had a sandwich, went down on Padre Island on the coast to look over the territory. About 8.30 that night, we started to come back home, and it had gotten dark, and this guy wanted to demonstrate a boat to him, and there's two girls there from Kansas. I invited them because I'm hospitable from Texas, you know. We got in the boat and hit out on the bay and turned the lights out and went underneath the causeway, and the lights went out. <laughs> 
They had all looking dirt things up there, and we'd run into one of them. And we'd eaten it, you know, and they just clipped their heads off there, the windshield and stuff. No big deal, just normal evening. And one of the girls went up there, and this guy went that way, and I was on top of him, and all I'm doing is applying for a job, you know. And the tide took us back into shore, and some guy picked us up and took us to the hospital and 20 miles away, and some idiot called her wives. And my wife checked the women out first. One woman was screaming pretty heavy. I don't know why. She just broke her leg in two places. And my head just clipped off there. <clears throat> Turned my hair gray, you noticed. And I got the job. Insurance people checked all three of us in different hospitals three weeks later, and we'd all just had two beers. That's all it was to it. That guy shipped me out to a little old town in West Texas that had 536 people there. 500 of them couldn't make a living. The 36 were just having a big time. I joined the 500. Then I end up back in Houston by a company from Huntington, Indiana. Hope they're not too close. Uh, however, they know I'm an alcoholic and grateful I'm in AA. And uh, they hired me because I was recommended by a guy that they depended more on him than they did on me. They didn't know why I was there and I couldn't help them. And I didn't know what they sold and I didn't want to admit it because they were 45 years old. So I said, I just know I can do whatever it is you want me to do. They said, well, nobody here thinks you can, but we'll go ahead and hire you anyway. And I said, fine with me, because I need to drink. And as far as that, it's 11 o'clock. <laughs> so I moved back to Houston, and it lasted nine months. I didn't know myself to be a drunk. The only thing that ever indicated I was a drunk is I got drunk once in a while, like at night. <laughs> and I just said, I've got a new bunch of customers, and I'm not ever going to let them see me drinking. Heavy. So I just drink with them a little bit, then I'd go to my favorite places that they'd still let me in and take my checks that they had to hold and black out and go home just like you're supposed to. And I did that for nine months, except the day before Christmas Eve of 1965, I played golf with these customers. They took my car from the golf course to their house, and I blacked out right at the house. Then the next morning, I waked up in total fright, just like I'm supposed to. Didn't remember what happened. Always call back and say, I'm sorry about last night. I wasn't sorry about last night. I was trying to find out what happened. They never have to make amends, so you and I shall never know. And that wasn't anything any different than I'd done a thousand times. Drove blacked out. Went to a party. Don't remember what happened. Went to anywhere. and Don't remember what happened. Waked up the next morning in total pride. And I guess I heard on the radio. But I picked up that phone book, oh, what's her name, went next door, there's going to have a party, it's Christmas Eve. And we didn't communicate anyway, you know. And I looked up in that phone book under Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm not an alcoholic. And I called the number under intergroup. And the only I knew about intergroup, I said, I love to hear the word intergroup, because it saved my life. And I called, and this little girl acted like she's glad I called. I should have known then there's something wrong. <laughs> 
She said, somebody will be right out. Well, I waited an hour. Nobody showed. About that time, the phone rang, and this guy said, I'll be right there. Before I could tell him I didn't need him, he hung up. <laughs> Found out later they were matching on the phone, and the one that lost was coming after me. <laughs> and it's 10.15, I look in the icebox, I got three beers. And it's Christmas Eve, I said, I'll just get rid of him. And then I looked through that door, and there he was, looked like a deacon. Pointed nose, short. Looked sad, you know, and had a book under his arm. And I said, oh, my God. We're going to pray and read that book. I've not only been baptized, I've been rededicated ten times. He came in. We didn't read the book. We didn't pray. And about that time, well, what's the name? Came back in. He said, you want to go with me? And I didn't, but it's better than staying with her. So I got in the car, and just a minute we hit that freeway, I knew I'd made a mistake. I knew I'd gone off with a perfect stranger, didn't take my car, didn't even get any ID or nothing, don't know who he is, and besides that, I'm going back in a total fight. And I said, I'll just give him a test. I'll buy a beer. He said, I don't want a beer. I thought, God, he's not my kind of guy, and I've done it, and I, I waited about 15 seconds. And I said, I'm sorry, I got bad drunk last night, I got to have a beer, and I got to have it right now, just get over at that 7-Eleven, and get over there, right, get off the freeway, and let me out. <coughs> you know, I cannot handle total fright with no life. <laughs> and he said, can you wait till we get to the club? I said, oh, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> and he drove, and he drove, and he drove over in kind of a bad neighborhood. Drove up in front of this old house. Some of the cars looked pretty good, and the rest of them looked about like mine. I thought, well, when I get some money, I'll help these folks. <laughs> and you open the door, and there's a deacon sitting over there talking about women in the stock market, and I found out later on didn't know anything about either one. And there was an old bar back there in the back, and I swear the linoleum was old when they put it on there. And the bartender didn't look a hell of a lot better than I did. And this little short guy walked up to him and said, Mix him up a little milk and honey. I said, my God, what do you put in it? I never drank anything like that in my life. He said, well, you see, you're nervous. I said, hell, that's what I've been trying to tell you. <laughs> And he said, and besides all that, you're used to sugar in your system from alcohol. And the honey has already been digested. I said, indigestion is not my problem. <laughs> I drank half of it and it curdled and came right back up. <clears throat> he said, don't worry about it, we have plenty. One of the smart ones said, walk all you want to. Hell, I didn't want to walk at all. <laughs> Stayed there all day long, drinking old sweet milk and honey. 
And they watch you. Just, there are new animals in here. Just watch you go back and forth. <laughs> just laugh and talk. Hell, ain't nothing funny. <laughs> Finally, it took me home about 6 o'clock. Stayed there all day long. I said, let me out in front. Don't let her see me. Hell, I had to go get rid of that sweet taste. That is killing me. I was sick of a dog. And he said, don't go anywhere. I'm going to pick you up in an hour. I said, what for? He said, oh, we're going back to a meeting. I said, where? Right back where we came from. Well, I waited. Here he comes. Personality hadn't changed, but he case stays in there, you know. We go on back and they have an old four-hour meeting. He said it lasted an hour. And they're kind of funny people, you know. Some of them are kind of friendly, and the rest of them, they didn't talk to each other hardly at all. Some was kind of sad looking. They kind of walking. They all sat down. Then some idiot got up there and started talking. And then I didn't understand anything he said. And then some of them laughed once in a while. Then they all got up and held hands and said the Lord's Prayer, and the whole thing exploded. God just started hugging and kissing and laughing, and everybody talking at the same time. I said, My God, where did the Holy Spirit move in there? I didn't see that. <laughs> they didn't sing nothing, any songs or nothing. Just, when they, I said, It must be when they held hands. Then I saw some of them laughing, men and girls, getting together and getting in those cars and taking off, and I was the only one that's not invited. And I said, I've got the only deacon in town that nobody likes. <laughs> and then one night it was raining, this guy called and said, I'll pick you up in about 30 minutes. I said, it's raining. <laughs> he said, did you ever go get a drink when it's raining? I said, I'll be ready. <laughs> Now, I've been going to old me every night, twice on Saturday and Sunday. Every night. Nothing's happening to me except just a miserable day, and they're miserable. I'm trying to get enough time so he can leave. I just want to stay with them long enough so I can quit. Then one night, I said, I'm not going. So I turned out all the lights, pulled the shades, left the TV set only on. That's all. And that phone just rang and rang. I just let her ring. Next morning, he called and said, Where were you last night? I said, I was right here watching television. He said, Well, you missed it. I said, What did I miss? He said, I don't know. I said, Wasn't you there? He said, Yeah. But I only heard what I was supposed to hear. We'll never know what you're supposed to hear. I said, my God, you got to go every night. You miss it. <laughs> I went three months every night, went out and got drunk. Three months every night, went out and got drunk. Three months every night, went out and got drunk. They indicated that I'd changed, had one change in my life. I've gone from a daily drinker to a periodic. <laughs> When I went back the last time, I was going back just with another guy one more time. Then I was resigning from AA.
I was going to tell them goodbye. Appreciated everything, but I'm going on a new deal. I figured out that the only thing wrong with me is I've just always been underfinanced. <laughs> if I get enough money, I'm going to be okay. After the meeting, this little short deacon walked up to me, says, Don't ever call me again. I said, God, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> I didn't call you in the first place. They did. I never liked you. And if I had as bad a personality as you did, I'd go back to drinking. And you don't have to worry about it. I'll never call you again as long as I live. And I didn't until the next morning. <laughs> then he said, meet me at the club. And he said, get your coffee and sit down. Now I want you to look me straight in the eye. You've been here nine months and haven't heard one single thing. And I'm going to tell you something about Alcoholics Anonymous. There's absolutely no failure here. Alcoholics Anonymous, Al-Anon, Al-A-Teen, Al-A-Top, or Al-A-Dog <laughs> does not fail, provided you do exactly what we tell you to do the way we tell you to do it. Then there's absolutely no faith. And you can't do it a little bit. You can't do it halfway. you got to do it exactly the way we tell you to do it. And said, you don't get to decide the way. You only get to make the decisions of what you're going to do. And that is, are you going to go this way or are you going to go your way? We're going to give you a decision now to make. You're either going to do exactly what I tell you to do the way I tell you to do it, or you're going right back out that door. I said, I don't want to do either one. <laughs> he said, I didn't ask you what you wanted to do. I asked you what you was going to do. I said, do you mean to tell me you don't care whether I want to or not? He said, not a bit. I said, well, if you'll make it perfectly clear to everybody that I don't want to, then I'll do it. <laughs> I said, what is it I'm supposed to do? He said, well, first of all, you need to know that it's your thinking that's wrong. I said, what do you mean my thinking's wrong? Well, you just think wrong. I said, how much of my thinking's wrong? He said, we always start with all of it. <laughs> and if there's any, any good, we'll let you know. <laughs> I said, you got a sign up there that says, think, think, think. And he says, that's for us. <laughs> He said, now we're going to give you some things not to do. And the things that we give you not to do is going to change. Then we're going to give you some things to do. And the things we give you to do, you're just going to add to. Then it's going to happen over here. I said, what's going to happen over there? He said, we don't know. <laughs> I said, if you don't know. He said, we just don't know what. We just know it always happens. <laughs> 
I said, I don't understand anything you're telling me. And he said, now you got it and don't ever forget it. <laughs> now, if you got it through, don't call. You didn't do it right. You've got to make the call. Or go to the club or go to any group. But you've got to make the call when you get squirrely so it'll work. He said, now that's going to change. Now, what we're going to do, we're going to get up in the morning, and I want you to get out on your knees, and I want you to say these words and these words only. God, take me today and let me be what you want me to be. Let thy will only be done in my life. Help me to definitely not take a drink of anything alcoholic or a mind-changing drug today. Amen. You don't need to tell God anything else. He can handle everything on his own. You don't have to give him any instructions. <laughs> and call me before you go to the bathroom. I said, why before I go to the bathroom? You may not need to go. I said, do you mean to tell me that you don't think I've got sense enough to know when I need to go to the bathroom? He said, we'll find out. <laughs> so I got up the next morning, and I said, God, you know, you know that he don't know. <laughs> Hell, he's a Presbyterian. <laughs> but we're going to do it just exactly like he said, so from now on, we can tell him after it's over. We did it just like you said, and it didn't work. <laughs> so I got out on my knees and did the deal and called him, and he said, Go to the bathroom, meet me at the club. He didn't even ask me where I wanted to go or not. <laughs> Met him at the club and said, Go to work. I said, oh, I didn't even go to work yesterday. He said, Why? Well, I felt bad. He said, What'd you do? I said, Sit in the chair. He said, Think. I said, Yeah. He said, See? <laughs> Gotta watch that thinking. And I said, Well, how am I gonna keep him thinking when I'm thinking what I'm thinking? He said, Oh, just don't go by it. Call me first. <laughs> He said, you probably don't know how to go to work. I said, how do you do it? Go get in the car. I said, oh. <laughs> I caught on right quick, but I got out of that chair and got in the car, could have gone to work. <laughs> Met him back to the club, five o'clock. You know how they are. Get your coffee and sit down right before everybody. You know how to do that, but they got to tell you. Then when you're almost getting comfortable, he says, go home and eat and come back to meet him. Right before everybody. So you go home and eat and come back to meeting. And after the meeting, he said, now I want you to go home and get on your knees and thank God for the day. I said, I do not thank God for the day. It's been a miserable damn day. I hate you. I hate me. And I hate everything with it. I hate God. I hate anything I can hate. And nobody likes her. <laughs> He said, do you feel that you're not sincere? I said, yeah, and I'm not going to be a hypocrite either. He said, remember, we're not depending on the way you think or feel at all. It's only the action that you're taking that you don't even know you're taking that's going to make you different. It's never the thinking. It's only going to be the action, and you're always acting against your thinking. And you don't even know what the action is going to give you when you're doing it. I said, do you mean to tell me nobody cares what I think about it? And he said, not at all. <laughs> so I just went home, got down on my knees, and said, okay, by God, God, thank you for a miserable damn day. Amen. Amen. <laughs>
God don't care, he don't care. Hell, I don't care. I did it just the way they told me for about two months. And then I was driving down the 610 loop in Houston about 9.15 one morning. And this God that knowingly I'd never known as a friend moved in that car with me. And for the first time in my life, I knew him to be my friend. And for the first time in my life, I knew I knew something. I knew I knew I would never have to drink again unless I insisted upon it. And I had a beautiful, my first beautiful day in Alcoholics Anonymous. I couldn't wait for that character to get back to that club. <laughs> he was 20 minutes late, and I thought, now, you know, we'll get some tambourines in a tent, and we'll go save some souls. <laughs> I thought the rest of my life is going to be like this. This is what I've been looking for. Just as soon as you walk through that door, I said, get your coffee and sit down. <laughs> They don't like that, and they look a little funny, but he did it. <laughs> then I told him what the deal was. Told him how fantastic it was and what God had done by coming into my life today. And he said, grinned a little, not much. <laughs> and said, thank God we've got that over with. Now we can get started. <laughs> said, my God, that took a year. He said, some are sicker than others. <laughs> well, I said, what are you going to do about old what's-her-name? They'd taken her to Al-Anon, and they were depressing. Thank God, love Al-Anons ever since. Took her to two AA meetings, and she said, why don't you stay on beer? You'll be okay. And he said, I'm not going to mess with you through that. So I believe in my marriage just like it is, not going to mess with it. I said, but I'm going to send you the guy that's got it all worked out. And I went to that guy. He was Episcopalian, you know, <laughs> which really doesn't know either. And he said, I'll tell you one thing. She said, you know that lonesome walk you kind of made when you didn't fit in AA and you didn't fit back out there and just kind of a lonesome time, just you walking through it? I said, yeah. He said, if you're willing to make those walks, he said, I'll not only guarantee your relationship with a woman and leave you the one you had, or a new one, and won't be any different. He said, half the people who are married in AA are married right. Some shouldn't be married at all. But he said, we use the master counselor only here. And we have the way for you to find out. And the way to have a relationship with another human being. And I told him I wanted it with just one. I wanted to know whether I could have it or not. He said, if you're willing to make that lonesome walk, I'll guarantee you You'll become a husband and a person who can live with another human being, either one you've got or another one. And I'll give you a bonus. You'll also have a relationship with your fellow man you could never have dreamed possible, and we'll give you a bonus of relationship with God you could not ever imagine. I said, I don't believe any of that. He said, isn't it great? I said, what? You don't need to. <laughs> I said, what are we going to do? He said, well, to live, you need to learn this anyway. No matter who you're going to live with, we're never going to tell her what's wrong with her ever again. I said, who's going to tell her?
Somebody's got to tell her. He said, well, I don't know, but you're not. And you're never going to do anything to work her around to get her to be or do like you want her to do or be. I said, never? He said, never. And you're going to pray for her. I said, I'm not. He said, yes, you are. You're going to say, God, thy will be done for her as well as for you. Take our relationship and let it become what you want it to be. You may have to do that several times a day. I had a bad case. Of the morning, I just got up. I just said, leave the house. I couldn't tell her hello. We can't tell her what we're doing. So I, boop, I just had to leave. I didn't know what to say to her. And she didn't know what to answer. She had it ready, but we didn't get to do it. About two months later, it all surfaced. I had had two sick girls picked out. Had explained to them that I was not sleeping with what's-her-name. They would not let me go with the girls I had picked out, or any girls. Would I said, I'm not sleeping with her. And I know this is the one. I can tell. She's been sober a week, you know. <laughs> you know, we're, this is the first time I was ever where they had the sick girls grouped. They used to have to go look for them, you know. <laughs> but they wouldn't let me do it. Wouldn't let me start up anything. Wouldn't let me do anything. Go to meetings. Go to work. And that's all. After about two months, that thing surfaced that was in me, and I don't know what it is. I don't know what you call it, love, lust, whatever it was, but I've had that with women all my life. And I told him and told him and told him every day, every day, every day, every day. Then nothing happened, and I hurt, and I told the group. And they didn't do any good. Must not have had any contact or nothing. So I slipped over and told another group. And one of them snitched on me. You know, we don't gossip in AA. We're just concerned. <clears throat> and then he said, we've heard about all of old what's-her-name. And we've heard about all your things that we've had about. We're just sick of you. And we want you to go home and you get in that room and you lock that apartment and don't you let anybody in there and don't you talk to anybody on that phone till you and God get rid of that. And I went in there and stayed all day long and all night and cussed and prayed and cried and did everything and the next morning wasn't there. And it's never returned. Then I knew about my marriage. We just didn't have anything. When the sickness was gone, it was gone. We used the same lawyer and four or five people in AA to help Jim quit too scared. You know, I'd never live without misery. I didn't know what to do. Scared you to death. My God, what if you had a good day all day? And night. We used the same lawyer. And I'd been calling on a girl as a customer in the hospital. And I said, one day, I said, you know, that might be the type of girl I've always been looking for. But I didn't know anything. We went to a convention and we were accused of going together. And I got those funny feelings again except they were different. And I went to her and I said, we've got a problem. She said, we've got to go to your office. She said, what's wrong? They'd already told me never to associate with anybody that I didn't establish one thing. That no matter what was going to be in my life, I wanted God to be the head of it. No matter what it was, in any relationship or anything, God was to be the head of whatever I was involved with in my life. And we talked about God and work, and that's all. I didn't know anything about her. Know what she did or what their marriage status was or anything. And I said... 
I think I'm falling in love with you and my sponsor will not let me have an affair. <laughs> and that's funny, coming from a 45-year-old gray-headed man. And I said, I might as well tell you the rest of it. I'm an Alcoholics Anonymous, and I go to meetings every single night and twice on Saturday and Sunday. They don't let me do one single thing but work and go to it. It's all they do. Don't let you do anything else. She said, what's it all about? Well, I don't know. I said, I'll have to call my sponsor. You know, they smoke a lot and complain because their eyes burn, and they pray and cuss some, and then they cry, and then they drink too much coffee and fuss because they can't sleep at night. You know what? And I called my sponsor, and he said, what have you been doing? I said, nothing. Haven't done nothing. <laughs> he said, bring her over here. I took her over there, and we got out of that and went in one of those little ones of meals, and he talked. You know how they do you. Just sit down there, Sonny. Just sit down. We'll take care of the whole thing, you know. You don't need to get involved. We'll handle it. You're just a kid, you know. And he talked to her for an hour and a half. I thought, hell, I believe he's going with it. And he said, well, God might be going to do something for you. And I'm ready to go now, you know. All you got to do is just go sign old Dick's name. I know how to get him started. Just, just get in the light. I've been on caution for two years, you know. <laughs> he said, no, we're just going to leave it alone. She doesn't know anything about alcoholism. She knows nothing about Al-Anon. And you know that unless you have God, AA, and Al-Anon in your home, you can't have it. We agreed on that before we started. I said, that's right. Brain damage set in again. I couldn't keep from telling her how to go to the first Alnon meeting because I knew and never been to one. I said, just go in there and tell them your name's Eloise and don't tell them another thing. You don't need to tell them nothing. <laughs> she needed to tell them something else. Tell them she's going with an alcoholic. We might even get married. Didn't know what was going to happen. They took them two meetings to explain to her about alcoholics and why she shouldn't be going with an alcoholic. I took her to an open meeting across town and she heard the woman alcoholic. And she heard the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. She went back to that al meeting and said, you have a program and I want it. I now have that relationship that only God gives a man and a woman. And we do have God and al living in our home. And it's totally free. She had three children. The older one was a Southern Baptist minister. <laughs> we did not have to worry about seeing him for quite a while. He got the message early that his mother had divorced, of course. He knew about that. But he got the message that she had married an alcoholic. So we didn't see him for the first couple of years. And he came in with a wife and a little daughter, and it was kind of cool. I gave him the book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the 12 and 12. They thought we were claiming salvation in the big book, but he liked the 12 and 12. They're kind of student-type people. But his little daughter jumped up in my lap and said, Papa Jim, I love you, and broke that ice. He's now a missionary in Venezuela, and he's called us, and he's coming in Christmas and going to stay with us. The second boy, all he wanted to know, he had two children. And here I am, just barely becoming, know how you be a husband, let alone being a father and a grandfather all in one shot. And I had to go back to my sponsors, and he's trying to teach me how to be one of those. And this one boy just brought, came over and brought these two kids and his wife, 
And he just, he loves his mother. Didn't care what she did, as long as she was happy. He saw her happy. Didn't question things, except that one little old boy was about three and a half. And I could see he was going to be the only thing in the family that was going to tear it up. He was tearing things up and nobody seemed to be able to do anything with him. And I thought, well, there's a pool out there. We could have an accident and then the family's going to all be better off. <laughs> but fortunately, I checked with my sponsor first and he said, no. <clears throat> Grandfathers don't do that. No, I just didn't know how to do it. Five years later, that little boy came in, and he loves his grandmother, and she loves him. She's the only son, grandson. And he came in and said, Tonight I'm going to sleep with Papa Jim. No, no, I don't know where you're going to sleep. <laughs> the daughter had a horrible personality. Just terrible. Beautiful, slender little blonde girl. Just beautiful and terrible. Running around with her first love, got married to somebody else. And she ran around with this old boy with a beard, long hair, and smoked pot. <laughs> Finally, Eloise and Alan handled that. And they didn't do it right, but they handled it. <laughs> and she let her go. Six months after that, he cleaned up and shaved, and they got married. He went back to college and got his degree. Two years ago in February, they had their first baby, and they called. Had Eloise down there during that time. And they called me to come down to get her, and when I got there, this girl's personality was just delightful. She's a sweet girl, just great to be around. And she said, I want you to see this little girl, and I want you to try to make sure you see her every two months, because I want her to know who her grandfather is. The boy had lost his dad probably from alcoholism about 12 years ago. And he told me Thanksgiving three years ago, he said, you know, I'm just going to tell you this, you're the only father that I've ever had. And if it hadn't been talking to you on the phone and knowing how to live, even though we only went to the meetings with you, the AA program, we've been doing that ever since you and I have been talking while I was in university. I'm grateful to know that I know some things about you and I today. That God sent you and I to be together. We didn't do it on our own. And that nothing was ever going to be any different in my life until I got to you. And that my life up to this moment had to be just the way it was. I used to think if I'd have made that turn instead of that one, my life could have been different. It was not, could not only not have been different, was not supposed to be any different. To know that my life could never have been any different and to know that I know today the only thing that was wrong with me I did not know until I stayed with you a while that you and I were chosen to be together and they were God's chosen people. And that's the thing that I could not live with until I began to know that I know that God chose you and I to be His. I don't know about anybody else. I just know about you and I. And I know that there's one thing that's over all things and that wins all the games, and you and I are going to have to lose lots of battles, but we're winning the game. Just reversed from the way I used to live. And to know today that the one thing that God gives us with all the power and all the strength and all that we need and all we ever look for is that one ingredient that we had the moment we walked through. And you tricked me into it. You tricked me into loving a guy who wasn't lovable. And I didn't know that's what I was doing, just as you loved me when I wasn't. And still do. 
But the difference is you. That I know today that it's impossible for a human being to have a relationship with God without a relationship with his fellow man. And see, I had to have that. And I know today that a man is not going to miss the whole thing living on this earth if he does not find his ministry and you and I have been given ours. But the difference is you. Just like it is right now. When I stay with you long enough to feel God loving me and at times me loving him back, but the difference is still you. Just like it is right now. When I can feel you loving me and me loving you. Thank you very much.